I want to welcome all of you joining us uh, for our Wednesday night Bible study, those uh, over in Stevens Point and others who join us via video. Glad that you're with us. We are in the book of Acts. On our Wednesday night Bible studies, what we do is we take a book of the Bible, go through verse by verse, teach you what the Bible has to say. Now, we are in chapter 8. And and again, for those of you who are pretty new to Bible study, all these numbers, chapter and verses and all that stuff, all these numbers were added later. They really weren't chapters and all this kind of stuff. They broke this up so that we could find where in the world we are when we're talking about this stuff. Uh, either that or everybody would have the exact same Bible and I'd just say turn to page 1066. But uh, that doesn't work. Everybody's got different kinds of Bibles, different sizes. So it's chapter 8 and uh, we're starting at verse 26. Now, we had just been reading about uh, Philip. He was one of these uh, uh, deacons the church had started. The first one, Stephen, was stoned to death because you know he <laughs> really irritated these uh, leaders in the Jewish community and rebuked them for not having faith and being on the wrong side of the kingdom of God. And they got so mad they stoned him to death. Philip uh, is another guy mentioned as one of the uh, deacons. These are guys who just helped out with the basic chores of the church. What's significant is that they too did great and incredible miracles. Uh, so what's great to see in that is that it wasn't just tied to the apostles. This stuff about miracles and experiencing God isn't just for special people, special holy people that, you know, rise to some sanctified level or something. Just everyday people can experience miracles. And we're reading about some of these guys. And uh, and this, this kind of gets fun. Now, I really dig this next thing. Uh, Philip... Uh, you know, I've been telling you these guys, you know, go from, you know, Revenge of the Nerds to, you know, Jedi Knights. And, and, and I want you to see once they got filled with the Holy Spirit and started experiencing God, some of the cool things that, that they experienced. So check it out. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Doesn't tell him why. Sometimes you'll feel God speaking to you in one way or another. Maybe, you know, some, an actual voice or just an impression on your heart. Like you feel you should do something and you may not always know why. But good to go with those things because the whys usually become clear a little bit later. So, um, he goes down. He started out and on his way he met an, an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, now, a eunuch is a, a guy who had the misfortune... <laughs> Of becoming a eunuch. Um, what, what would happen is um, these leaders and stuff uh, were very paranoid about their harems and the women in their lives. And they needed men to be around them to help them and protect them and stuff like that. But so that they wouldn't get any smart ideas, they would castrate these guys. Uh, usually as young boys and they would grow up and they were called eunuchs and because they didn't have the boys anymore they weren't interested in ladies and whatnot so uh (laughs) so this guy's without his boys and he's from ethiopia and uh he's he's an important official i i feel for the man yeah he's an important official oh on the other hand he didn't know what he's missing so well anyway you know an important official in charge of all the treasury of candace queen of the Ethiopians. This is why the man is a eunuch. 
because he's working with Queen Candace, and the king didn't want any monkey business going on. Anyway, so this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Kind of interesting. He's an Ethiopian, uh, probably a black guy from Ethiopia, goes to Jerusalem, has faith in God, and uh, we don't know how he came to uh, know about the Jewish faith and about the the one true God, but he did. And uh, he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship God. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading. So he's an educated man. He's reading uh, the book of Isaiah the prophet. Uh, Again, another significant statement because this is a major player in in Ethiopia, in world politics. I mean, this guy was up the ladder, you know, uh, in charge of all the treasury, all the money that Queen Candace dealt with. It went through this guy. He had resources. He had his own chariot. Uh, and a driver, obviously, we'll see why, obviously, in a second here, but, um, you know, even having his own copy of the, the, the prophet was a big deal. Um, it was not like they went down to the local Christian bookstore and got copies. I mean, there, there was no printing press, remember. These things were all hand done and getting scrolls and stuff was a pretty rare deal. He's got his own copy in his own chariot, and he's sitting there and he's reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit tells Philip, he says, go, go to that chariot and, and stand near, stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's sitting there reading this out loud. And then Philip says, uh, do you uh, understand what you're reading? So what, what he's seeing here is the Lord leads him to an opportunity where he sees that he has an opportunity to preach the gospel. Okay. Now it's of, it's, it's of interest here. <sighs> Oftentimes, and I know people often say, you know, the Lord told me to do this and this, and they get all these detailed instructions. And that's great. If that's really what you get, that's fabulous. It's usually not that way. It's more you get stuff in bits and pieces from God. You know, you might uh, not even know why you're feeling something or, or believing something. Somebody might say something to you, and, and you kind of get instructions in bits and pieces. It's not always clear. The Spirit of God could have told him, hey, look. You need to go down to this road. You're going to see this Ethiopian eunuch. He's going to be reading from the book of Isaiah. And then I want you to preach the gospel to him and win him to Christ. Because that's, in essence, what happened, right? But he didn't. He just said, hey, go down that road. So he goes down the road. And this, then he's standing there just looking at this chariot. And the spirit goes, move. Go over there. Stand over there. So he goes over there. Spirit of God still didn't tell him what to do. But now he sees the opportunity. Uh, don't fear the opportunities because you haven't gotten some big revelation. Um, what is that clicking noise? I have the attention span of a fly. Is that my heart? If so, I'm dead, man. Because that's beat about every, you know, 40 seconds or so. What? Did you Sorry. Is that me or is it just freaking out? Hello? 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 Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. Talk amongst yourselves.
Hello? 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 Can you hear me? All right. I have to talk like this now the whole time? Hello? <laughs> Hello? Hello? All right. Sorry. What was I talking about? I have no idea. Oh, opportunities. Look for opportunities. And don't freak out when um, you don't have all the uh, dots connected. You know, God expects you to connect some of the dots. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Don't sit there and wait for every single dot and every single thing to be absolutely crystal clear. You know, God expects us not to be morons. Okay? And to have a sense of looking for opportunities. You see, that's the great thing about... Sometimes we're presented for opportunities and we're kind of freaked out by it because we're not looking for them. If you will walk with a sense of expectation, a sense of expectation that maybe God will give me a chance here to share my faith or to help somebody or to be kind in some way or who knows what it is that that open doors that might come for you. Uh, A lot of times we miss the open doors because we aren't looking for them. And we're just, and we're completely clueless about the opportunities that God gives us. So the Lord kind of prods him, but again, doesn't tell him everything, but eventually he gets a clue. Oh, I probably should say something. So he says to the guy, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the uh, Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him uh, in the chariot. Must have been a big Yo Mama chariot. Uh, yeah, more than a two-seater. Because he has... It's a double wide. Because <laughs> when I think of chariot, I'm thinking, you know, Ben-Hur kind of thing. You know, one guy standing there going, yeah! I mean, there's no room to do anything, right? But apparently, he could come on up, sit down, have a seat. You know, I don't know. Uh, because he's not driving. Somebody else is driving. So, pretty good-sized chariot. So, uh, which has nothing to do with anything. Just <laughs> rambling like an idiot. So he invites him to come up and sit with him. And the, the eunuch was uh, reading this passage of scripture. And he starts reading from uh, um, the book of Isaiah in a specific place where it's a prophecy about Jesus. The, the, the Isaiah is writing about this Messiah and what it's going to be like when he comes. And he reads this. He said, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And, and, and you have to remember, in the Old Testament, there's like two pictures of the Messiah. There is the conquering but kicking Messiah. And then there's the suffering Messiah. Where the Jews missed it, by and large, is what they wanted, clearly, who wouldn't, was the butt-kicking Messiah. That's what they wanted to see. Now, he's still coming. Jesus is going to come back again. And I promise you, he's not coming back like a sheep to the slaughter. He's coming back kicking butt and taking names. And when he comes back, it's going to be a whole other ball game down here. Now, when that happens, I do not know, but someday it's going to happen. But this first picture they missed because they were more interested in getting rid of uh, the oppressive regime of Rome. They were under occupation. They just wanted the butt kicker to show up and set them free. And that's why they didn't pay attention to the suffering Messiah pictures. As it turns out, Jesus first came to suffer, die for our sins. And when he returns, he will be the conquering hero. Okay, anyway, so he's reading about the suffering part. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation... He was deprived of justice, and indeed he was. Uh, that whole sham trial that they had was all against their own laws. Uh, it, was, it was just a, a, a terrible thing that they did to Jesus. Who can speak of his descendants? His, his life was taken from the earth. Uh, the eunuch asked Philip, so, so tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? 
Himself or someone else? Well, now you've got a big, humongous opportunity here. Philip doesn't get this at this point. Someone needs to beat him. So, so then Philip begins with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So I said, I'll tell you what this is about. And he starts explaining the suffering Messiah and how he came and he died for the sins of mankind and how it was Jesus and how he was crucified and he was raised from the dead and all the good news of, of the Christian faith. And it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Remember, that's why he's not driving. This is a, you know, he's a high up guy. He's not handling horses. He's riding in the chariot, orders the guys to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. By the way, as we look at the book of Acts, you will see over and over and over again that it was always adults who were baptized. There is no record, not even so much as a hint, anywhere in the New Testament of baptizing children. Um, I know most of you were baptized as children. I know that's the tradition that hundreds of years later the church finally said, well, you know, why don't we just start baptizing them as babies? Well, uh, you know, without getting in a big fight with anybody... The reality is, it was never intended. It was supposed to be an act of faith. I make a proclamation. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Of my own free will, I decide to follow God. And then I am baptized. That's the biblical deal right there, okay? Don't know why you're clapping. But anyway, that's, that's, that's the deal. And that's how it works. So we encourage people, if as an adult now, you've come, you, you've been away from God, and you come and you give your life to Christ, you've been born again, you really should get baptized. And uh, we're having a baptismal thing coming up in a few weeks, right? It's been delayed. It's been delayed. I never know what's going on around here. But anyway, that's okay. But it's going to be restarted again, I suppose. But we run out of water. Let's <laughs> uh, uh, go to Stephen's Point. They got lots of water over there. Um, anyway, okay. So, uh, as an adult, and, and it's, it's an act of faith as, as, uh, as uh, someone who can make a decision on their own. So, anyway, so... Right away, the eunuch, is, he's getting this message. Obviously, at some point, he must have prayed and asked Christ into his life, although it doesn't say it, but it's obviously. You know, and then he sees water and says, hey, there's water. Let's get baptized. Let's go do it. And Philip says, cool. So they go down there, stick him in the water, and baptize him. And it says, then when they came out of the water, check this out, check this out. This is so cool. When they come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly takes Philip away. Zap. He just disappears. And the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Personally, I'd have been a little freaked out. <laughs> Where did he go? I mean, just instantaneously, soon, he was gone. And then it says, Philip, however, appeared at Azastus and traveled about preaching the gospel. So check it out. The, here is a, we're talking the first beam me up Scotty. <laughs> All right? This is Jedi Master stuff. The guy comes out. All of a sudden, the Spirit goes, okay, you finally got a clue. Great, we got you. Okay, now get out of there. Zap! And just plops him in another place. Now, wouldn't that be kind of cool? Of course, wouldn't that be a little disorienting? I mean, you know, all of a sudden, I'm here, and in the next second, I'm in Miami. I'm going, whoa! What was that? Actually, I'd be up for that because I like Miami. But, uh... <laughs> Could be worse. I could be on the North Pole. But uh, the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, just rather than speaking to him and hinting at him, you do this, do this. He said he's a little slow. Zap! And just puts him in another place. 
for the next for the next round, and he travels about and he preaches the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Man, I don't know how often stuff like this happened, but you have to understand these guys walked in a level of miraculous experience that we read today and just are stunned and go, wow. And as I preached Sunday, if you were here Sunday, you would have heard, I think one of the reasons why we don't, because when they talk about this, they often talked about how intensely they all loved each other and sacrificed for each other and gave for each other. And I, I threw out the question, what if the one is tied to the other? You know, if it is, and it probably is, it's, there's no wonder we don't see stuff like that today because we're not anywhere near the level of commitment to each other that these guys were. Now, we can grow there. We can get there. And I will keep prodding us along to get there and, and, and do everything we can so that we really uh, start loving people. Uh, but, uh, you know, wow, this is just, you know, it's everyday kind of stuff for these guys. And it keeps going. It gets, gets wilder. Anyway, so now all of a sudden, uh, he says, in the meanwhile, chapter 9, verse 1. In the meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Remember Saul. Saul. Saul is the one who approved of stoning Stephen to death. And then he went around and he was so having so much fun torturing and arresting and, and making the life of Christians miserable that he just kept up at it. And uh, he went around and he persecuted Christians. The first wave of persecution of Christians in the world came by this man's hand. He was one mean, nasty boy. And, uh, you know, we don't get a whole lot of details about everything that he did, but we know that he, the one he killed, he was breaking into people's homes and dragging them away and throwing them into prison and you know, it's not like these people had much rights in those days. Who knows what happens to their homes? Maybe they all got sold off. Their children might have been put into slavery. I don't know. Who knows what all the implications of this were. But he was a man who was uh, terrorizing the church of Jesus Christ. Not a nice man. Okay. Now, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, now that's what they were referring to Christians. They weren't called Christians yet. We're going to see where they become, start getting the name Christians. Up to this point, who were these people? I don't know. What do you call them? They belonged to that way. The way. That was, that's what the, the people of the way is what they were referred to as. And, uh, but so he had gone throughout Jerusalem and, and breaking up as many people as they could find. And remember, the Bible says that they were scattering to the far reaches of the world, which they were supposed to do in the first place. But they were scattering. Christians were running, trying to get away from Saul. Mean, horrible Saul. And when Saul ran out of people to persecute, then he went to the high priest and said, Hey man, send me to Damascus. If I find people there, I'll do the same thing to them there. And of course, they thought it was great. I'm sure they loved Saul. Man, Saul was a troublemaker and doing their dirty work for them. So, uh, he said, give me uh, the paper so that if I find anyone there who belongs to the way, whether men or women, he didn't care. He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So anyway, he gets the letters. Now he's cruising along, going out to strike more terror in the heart of people of faith. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. The Bible says he fell to the ground. Now this, we've uh, 
church history often refers to him getting knocked off of his horse. Uh, it doesn't say that he was on a horse. Uh, he might have been. I don't know. But uh, just a little trivia there. But uh, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now here is a man who does not believe in Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. Now he never talks about it um, in his writings. He does refer to the fact that he uh, tortured the church and felt very badly about it. But uh, here's a guy, he was injured, he probably unless he was in a box somewhere, knew of Jesus, had heard of Jesus, had heard of the miracle. I mean, this is a guy who didn't buy it, didn't believe it, and was doing everything he could to destroy it. Suddenly, this light flashes around him, and it knocks him to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, why are you persecuting me? Well, his answer is, who are you? What, who is this? And the answer comes, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. Can you imagine the shock that must have went to his brain? He did not believe in Jesus. Thought there was nothing to this. It was a cult. It was a one weird, stupid thing. We need to do everything we can to destroy it. Suddenly, he, he's pinned to the ground, and he's hearing the very voice of of Jesus Christ talking directly to him. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Well, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. They all heard it. I mean, this wasn't some whispering in his inner spirit. This was out loud, ho chi mama. Did you just hear that? And I'm sure it must have freaked them all out. Anyway, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. A little humiliating, big tough guy. And now someone's leading him by the hand so he can continue his journey into the city. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So he's just sitting there. All he heard was Jesus says, get your butt into the city and somebody will tell you what to do next. So he goes. He's blind. He's, and what must have been happening in his mind those three days? I mean, really, stop and think. You have to understand, Saul was the, the Osama bin Laden of the day, as far as Christians were concerned. Full of hatred. Full of death. Full of destruction. And suddenly this man gets knocked to the ground by Jesus and can't see anything. And what must have been going through his mind? He didn't believe it. How could he not believe it? He has to believe it now. I mean, it's really, truly amazing stuff. Well, anyway, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. So the Lord calls to Ananias in a vision. He says, Ananias? He says, yes, Lord. He says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, which is who this is, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So he says, I want you to go there. He's already seen you in a vision coming to pray for him. 
He knows you're coming. Well, the minute the Lord says to him, go and ask for a man named Saul from Tarsus. That's like, I want you to go check out Osama bin Laden. Ask for him and go pray for him. And Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Everybody knew what was going on. This was telegraphed ahead of time. They knew Saul was coming and coming to get them. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, go pray for this. And Lord, do you know who this is? <laughs> no, Ananias, I had no idea. <laughs> It's amazing some of the things we come up with in our heads. God, did you know who this is? But the Lord says to Ananias, go! Exclamation point, I like that. Maybe yell at him, go! Anyway, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. Don't worry, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Whoa. Whoa. Now, actually, right there, there's a theological question for you right there. That, that'll mess with your head a little bit. Because we often speak in terms of Christianity and, and kind of give people the impression, sadly, even to our young people, the impression that because we believe in forgiveness and restoration, that there are no consequences. Uh, and the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, there is forgiveness and restoration without question but there are still consequences to what we do there's a reason you want to teach your children to do things God's way to do things the right way not to get into paths that become destructive and painful in their lives why because there are consequences there are repercussions to the events that we take and the stands we take in our life and I often think we are far too cavalier in our approach to faith. I think we honestly think at some level that it doesn't matter. Whatever I do, Jesus will make it right. Well, in the sense of forgiving you of your sins and restoring your heart, that he does without question. When he looks at you, you are a clean slate. doesn't matter what you've done or who you've done it to. His forgiveness knows no bounds. But make no mistake, there are still consequences to what we do and choices we make in life and if you've had many experiences in life even as a Christian I think some of you get that um, some of you still struggle with some of the consequences of bad mistakes you made in your life even though Jesus has come into your heart and, and saved you and given you new life and new hope which is fabulous that's what it's all about man without forgiveness we're all doomed but don't be so cavalier as to think it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what choices I make. Jesus will fix it all. Um, that, that would be like, you know, letting your children play on Highway 43. In the middle, play ball. Uh, so we can't do that. What if they get hurt? Oh, that's okay. God will heal them. Well, can God heal them? Yeah, he can. But is that a smart move? No, because not everybody always gets their miracle. And things, those kids could be killed. Or they can have every bone broken in their body and have to go through years of painful surgery and rehab. And, and, and uh, sometimes people are stunned that they still have the consequences of, of bad choices. And 
Anyway, what's interesting about that, I just, again, this is just a theological crack in, in the time-space continuum here. Jesus comes, forgives him, redeems him, I've called him, but I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Uh, odd, in a way, if you think about it, you know, and indeed, Paul did suffer a great deal. Uh, so anyway, continuing on. Um, by the way, for those of you who are really new in all of this, Saul we're talking about here is Paul the Apostle. This is who this rotten scoundrel is. It's Paul the Apostle. His name is going to get changed from Saul to Paul. And, and he wrote most of the New Testament. So this rotten, 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 mean, 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 man, boom, gets so transformed that we still are captivated by what he had to say. And follow his example in faith. And I mean, this is fabulous. But there are still consequences for being so mean to the church. Uh, and again, a theological thing. Some people, what does that say? That there's not true forgiveness? No, there's. I, I think it's true forgiveness. It's just sometimes uh, there's consequences. Anyway, so Ananias goes to the guy's house and enters it, placing his hand on Saul. And how creepy that had to be. You know, he doesn't know he's going to be Paul, the great apostle. This is Saul, the creepy, nasty guy who's killing people. And he goes and he lays his hand. He has to touch this slime bag. Certainly from a Christian perspective, a slime bag. And pray for him. And he says to this, placing his hands on Saul, he says, Brother Saul. So he accepted the fact that he was now a brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was what? Baptized. Wasn't born that way. He repented, believed, and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now check it out. So Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now imagine how incredible this had to be. And exciting at the same time. This is cool. Saul. Saul got saved. Who? Saul. Saul who? Saul of Tarsus. You're kidding me. Saul of Tarsus is a trap. Look out. No, I think it's real. You're insane. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. I'm telling you, the guy's pretty cool. So he's hanging with the disciples. Like, woo, 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 woo. And at once he begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. <laughs> you can imagine all the Jews were a little confused at this point. This is the guy who came asking for permission to arrest Christians and now he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Now all those who heard it were astonished and asked, isn't this the guy who raised the havoc in Jerusalem among all who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. How do you prove that Jesus is the Christ? Say, Man, how, I'd be great if I could go out and just prove to all my friends that Jesus is real. Well, what it means is that he was from the scriptures proving that Jesus was the Christ. The very scriptures they said they believed in, like uh, Isaiah that we just read here. And he went into these scriptures and they showed, he started showing him that, you know, he fulfilled all these scriptures. He was the suffering Messiah. He as prophesied, was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, and he rose again later from the dead, and I mean, blah, 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 blah. And he was so skilled in the Bible because nobody knew the Bible like this guy. 
I mean, Paul, from the time he was an itty-bitty boy, was trained, he was one of the most highly educated men of his day in terms of, of being a highly educated Jew and climbing the ladder and, 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 and religiosity. and He was really quite something. And this guy knew the scriptures like the back of his hand. And all of a sudden, it starts to make sense to him. And now he starts to understand what it means. And he goes out and he's using the skill of his knowledge of the scriptures and proving to the Jews that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Well, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. They weren't particularly moved in a positive way. You know, these people, it's amazing how stiff-necked and hard-hearted some of these guys were. I mean, there were people... You remember when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? I mean, you would think, wow, that's very impressive. And he wasn't just like sick for a few minutes or just kind of mostly dead. You know, or just, you know what I'm saying? You know, he just, you know, well, maybe he wasn't dead, you know, all that much. And all of a sudden, you know, he just woke him up or something. But Lazarus, he was in the grave three days, rotting away. Wow. And he goes out and he goes, Lazarus, come forth. And the guy comes hopping out of the tomb. It's like, whoa. I would have been very impressed. <laughs> well, the people, and somebody think, man, wouldn't it be great if you could have seen that? Don't you wish everybody could see something like that? Because then they'd believe in Jesus. Amazingly not. They saw it, and because of it, they conspired to crucify Jesus and kill Lazarus to get rid of the proof. This was their motivation, these guys. I mean, he would come and, and Paul, uh, uh, Saul, teach them the scriptures, this is the real deal, and his the response is, let's kill this guy. It's like, oh, it's like, how thick can you be? So they conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. So they're waiting for him to show his face. They're going to just toast this guy. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in a wall. And that's how he gets out of town, gets out of Dodge. Well, then he goes to Jerusalem. And when he comes to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they had a little bit of a problem with that. (laughs) They were all afraid of him. Why? He killed Stephen. He's throwing people in prison. It's got to be some kind of a scam. And everybody was afraid of him. Not believing he was really a disciple. But then this guy comes along who takes him under his wing and believes in him. And his name is what? Barnabas. Interesting, because later Barnabas and Paul get such a big fight they don't even deal with each other anymore. But, uh, you know... It would have been easy for Barnabas to say, you know, you wouldn't even be here if it weren't for me. But who knows what kind of conversation they had, but uh, stuff happens. We'll get to that and we'll talk that through. But Barnabas takes Saul in and brought him to the apostles and told them of how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to (laughs) kill him. You know, Paul, he had kind of a hard life. You know, either you loved him or you literally wanted to kill the guy. But when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, uh, where he's originally from anyway. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. The persecution stopped. And, ah, you know, this horrible thing that was coming down that was all pushed by Saul. 
had stopped. And the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Okay, then we switch channels. Now we're going to go over and see what Peter's up to. So it's kind of jumped around. He was, you know, talking with Stephen. Then he said, this is what Saul or, or, or uh, Philip was up to. And then in the meanwhile, here's what Saul was doing. He gets saved. And now back over to Peter. So all this stuff's going on. And Peter, as Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. And by the way, when you see the word saints in the Bible, it's a word, a term describing believers. That's what it means. Saints. If you were a saint, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're considered a saint by biblical standards. Hundreds of years later, they said, now, well, saints will make a special category for them. They're holy people, and then there's regular people, and there's the saints. That, again, all constructed later by men, but not what the Bible refers to when it talks about saints. So he went around to visit the saints in Lydda, believers in Lydda. They weren't long, around long enough to have what would have typically been considered a saint by ecclesiastical standards today. Well, there he found a man named Aeneas. Aeneas? Kind of <laughs> changed my name there. Uh, a, a paralytic. <laughs> Aeneas. Uh, what did you say your name was? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Just move on. He, <laughs> he was a paralytic, paralytic uh, who had been bedridden for eight years. So he's sick for eight years. He's down. And then Peter says to him, and I'm not going to say his name again. And he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your man. And immediately he got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So at least these were people who, when they did see miracles, they would respond to God. Amazingly. But if, if you're determined you don't want to believe, man, there's nothing you can do for people who just refuse to believe. So pray for them like Saul. It'd be interesting. I wonder, was anybody praying for Saul? We don't know that they were. It would certainly have been the Christian thing to do, to pray for him. You know, or would you even think into I mean, it's just interesting uh, how here's a guy who Jesus himself shows up, claps him upside the head, and that's how he got saved. Probably not any other way he would have gotten saved. Who knows? God has a way with dealing with people, how he's going to deal with them. Anyway, so in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, when translated, is Dorcas. (laughs) Again, I would stay with Tabitha. All right? Nice lady. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. Now, think about this. Sick and died. Um... One of the things that we get a picture from the book of Acts is we think that nobody struggled. That there were so many miracles that nobody really got sick and struggled. No, they did. Even believers, even in the midst of these miracles, some people would still get sick and die. How is that possible? I don't know. But it just is. You know, we don't have all the answers. You know, we believe the Bible. If we trust God by faith, God will heal us. He will deliver us. He will save us. And then sometimes for some people, it just doesn't happen. Why? I don't know. And you know what? Neither do you. We don't know. We just don't know. But they weren't mad at God or anything. It's just, you know, here one guy, he's been, you know, paralyzed for eight years. All of a sudden, God heals him and everybody's getting saved. And here's poor Tabitha. And uh, it's a nice lady. did all these wonderful things. And all of a sudden, she gets sick and she's dead. So anyway, uh, Lydda was near Joppa. That's where Peter was hanging out. So the disciples, when he heard that Peter was in or uh, Lydda, this is Joppa, Lydda's where Peter was. When they heard that he was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. 
And Peter went with him, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. Now, oh, 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 this is so beautiful. Now check this out. Most of us, we look for reasons why God can't help us. You know, and it's too late. It's too late. I mean, that's what people say. It's, it's gone too far. It's, it's uh, uh, too sick. Or if, if it, we'd have caught it early enough. Or if I would have been smarter. Or, you know, whatever else. We all come up with this thing that it's too late. We live by this standard for some reason in our minds. And we justify why God can't do a miracle in our lives, or in our marriages, or with our children, or in our business. We get this mentality, it's too late, it will never change, it will too... And what I love about these guys is they did not think in that tone, in those terms. The lady was a sweet lady, she got sick and died, nobody was mad at God. But when they heard Peter was there, was great faith, they thought, oh cool, go get Peter. Why? Because they hadn't lost hope yet. Now think of that. The lady is dead! I would think time to move on. Right? Now, if you're still sick, I'll pray for you. If you're dead, I'm pretty much done. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just telling you the way it is. I will, you know, I'll be nice. I'll help, I'll help everybody around you and we'll cry and we'll have a great funeral and then have a great meal and, and put you in the ground. Okay? It just is. You know, I, I, you know if, you're, if you're dead... I pretty much think that's kind of it. But check these guys out. Even death doesn't stop them. They still stayed full of hope in the midst of death. Isn't that amazing? People sometimes people say, you know, it's too late. It, the situation is just dead. There is no hope. There, and, but here's the good news. God is never finished and is not intimidated by your circumstances. Even if there's death. And I know some of you struggle and stuff in life. And I was a sweet lady I was just talking to before the service, you know, in her relationship and stuff like that. But I want you to know something. It's, if you'll just have faith, God can do anything. I remember one time uh, talking to a lady. She was in the choir. This was some years ago. And uh, she said, uh, she just told me about how their marriage was over and, and uh, it was just dead. It was hopeless and. And, uh, and they'd been divorced for about a year. And uh, I said, really? And she said, yeah, yeah. I said, does he still live in town? She goes, looks at me and goes, oh, no. No, 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 no. It's over. It's dead, Pastor. It's dead. And I looked at her and I said, but you know what's so cool? We serve a God who raises the dead. Even death does not intimidate him. And she just freaked it. No! I got a letter from her about a year later. They're living in Minneapolis or something. And she says, guess what? We got back together. We're married again. Everything's great. I'm telling you. And of course, I, you know, your situation, I don't know what will happen in your situation. All I'm telling you is this. With God, nothing is impossible. So even in the face of death, these guys are still motivated by hope. Wow. I, I, I mean, that is awesome. I look at this and it blows me away. I got to tell you, death would pretty much be it for me. And, and, but man, you know, wow. Not to stop. So 
Once they find Peter, they say, go get Peter, tell him to come here. Well, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had uh, made while she was still with them. Great lady, wonderful woman. We love her. We miss her so sad. Well, Peter sent them all out of the room. And then he got down on his knees and he prayed. And then turning toward the dead woman. And now he starts talking to the dead woman. And in the midst of where there should be no hope, He looks at death and says, Tabitha, get up. And she opens her eyes. Oh, I hope they have instant replay in heaven. I so want to see some of these things. (laughs) That that has got to be so cool. Now, now really, you know, you got to wonder. The lady obviously had died and gone to heaven. Peter brings her back. I'm not sure if she'd be happy or not. Because the bad news is she's going to have to die again. I'm assuming the first time was kind of a drag. Now she's, she's got to do it again the second time. But I mean, who knows what she thought. All of a sudden, she's probably in heaven. Woo! And I'll thwink, and there's Peter. What did you do? So he takes her by the hand, helps her to her feet, and all the believers and widows, uh, and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa. And the reason she came back was, again, to glorify God. Although I'm sure, no question in my mind, she'd rather stayed where she was. Uh, Many people believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Okay, and... What are we doing for time? So, uh, uh, okay, we probably should quit because this is a whole new... Now, this next thing is, is very cool. This, now, we're going to stay with Peter here. And what we're about to see now is up, up until this point, they really believed the only people who could be Christians were Jewish people. Okay? They didn't even think non-Jewish people could be saved. Right? They really thought we were just, if you weren't a Jew, and I'm presuming most of you here are not Jewish, <clears throat> we might have one or two. Anybody here, Jewish heritage? Anybody, 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 anybody? There's one back there. Anybody else? You know, re- really, traditional Jews at this time really thought Gentiles were kind of just, you know, a notch above chickens and squirrels and stuff. I mean, they, they just, you know, you know, Jews were Jews and the Gentiles were, ugh. in fact, they, didn't, they wouldn't even eat with these people. They wouldn't even be in the same company with them. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. The idea of preaching the gospel to a bunch of people like us was totally abhorrent to them. Why would you do that? You know, there's, they're just a notch above squirrels. Who cares what happens? When they were preaching the gospel, they were preaching to other Jews. Almost all the believers in the beginning were all Jewish. Christianity, 100% of the beginning of Christianity, 100% Jewish. It was. It wasn't until later that the rift became so strong that Jews started to pull away, and, and we'll explain why they did. It's, it's just a fascinating read. So anyway, this next chapter is, is when uh, the Lord first starts intimating to Peter that he should go and talk to scuzzy people like us, who are not Jews. And, and uh, it kind of freaked him out, and it's, it's a fabulous, fabulous, this is a major event in the history of Christianity. So we want to take a real close look at that. 
uh, next week. Our ushers and stuff can come forward. We will, and our musicians, wherever y'all are hiding out, and uh, we will take our Wednesday night offering. You enjoying this stuff? I love this stuff. It is so cool. The Bible is so cool. It's so enjoyable. You know, I, I think when we're done with this, I, I might take a break and jump into the Old Testament. Maybe do the book of Genesis. You talk about weird. Genesis is just an, it's like, oh man, these people were nuts. Uh, but uh, kind of get a little Old Testament fix before we go back in the New Testament. But I, I, just, I just love the Bible. I just love looking at this stuff, getting a sense of who we are and why we're here and constantly reminding ourselves what's important because what's really important in life is right here. You won't find it watching American Idol. Okay, I'm not against American Idol. I watch too much TV myself personally. But I realize this is life. This is Here's where the answers are. This is powerful stuff. Be a lover of the Bible. You may not understand everything. I don't understand everything. And when I don't, I'll just tell you. And you've heard me say from time to time, I have no idea what they're talking about. And we just move on. I'm not going to make stuff up. You know, you won't always understand everything. But I'll tell you, that's that's far and few between. Uh, The reality is they're the words of life and encouragement helping us to build our faith. So we can experience more of God in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And that we can gather together in this free country. And and, uh, and spend this time together. Help us to grow from your word, we pray. God, we ask you to bless this money. Use it to advancement of your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.